0: Welcome back, listeners, to the MJ's Ignorant Podcast. Today's episode, parties, should we throw them or throw them out? Last month, I introduced myself in the podcast. I know a fair amount about several many things, but politics is not one of those things. On this show, I ask questions to my politically savvy friends to get a better understanding of politics. So, we are having to start this episode with some show business, and I think it's crazy that I had an idea to start a podcast, and on the second episode... We're already having all this business to go through, Uh, but it's really awesome. We had a great time doing the last episode, Um, such a great time that I got great responses from everybody who listened to it. And one of those responses was somebody gave me some feedback that we had thrown out some political jargon, in this case, the word constituents, and they had no idea what that meant. And so their feedback was, if you throw out jargon, can you define it? Uh, So for that listener, constituents are all of the people in the district that an office holder is assigned to, the people who voted for that office holder, and the people that they represent when they make laws. Uh, so for example, we are in uh, Mark Pokan's constituency. Here right? in Madison, yes. Here in Madison, the beautiful capital of Wisconsin. He is our congressman. We voted for him and he's representing us when he's in government.
1: And he represents both the people who voted for him, but the people who don't vote for him as well, but are in his district.
0: Yes, exactly. So he is assigned a district uh, of all the people who live in a certain geographical area. Um, so that's what constituents means. Thank you for that excellent feedback. And since we were needing to respond to feedback already by the second or first, actually, episode, uh, I made a Twitter handle for the show. So you can tweet at the MJ is Ignorant podcast at MJ is Ignorant. That's our Twitter handle. At ignorant. all one word, no spaces, and no punctuation. Very good. Yes. The second article of business to talk about is a specific element of this show's format, uh, and that is that we're not a current events show, and we're almost never going to have current political events among our topics. By way of explaining why, uh, I want to bring up a passage from physicist Sean Carroll's book, The Big Picture, that he wrote last year. It's an excellent book, and you should check it out, but that's besides the point. He talks about Galileo, and he was doing experiments in friction, gravity, and terminal velocity. Galileo would roll roll balls of various sizes and materials down inclined planks and measure their speed, and he found that he could work only his gravity equations and the variables of the balls and the planks and the angles and ignore things like pressure and air resistance and still make useful conclusions. Carroll goes on to say how valuable this approach is for science today you can control for or even ignore a variable and still study physics in a really useful way it's a great way to think about how this show will not be talking about current events now that's not to say that we'll be pretending they don't exist And we're not trying to be escapist we're not trying to ignore the real world it's so that we can understand political issues comprehensively from every political viewpoint possible and so that we can understand politics fundamentally building our understanding from the ground up and then we're kind of controlling for some of the broader complexities, like Carol talked about, with science. Uh, Also, there's a million hot takes available on the internet, Uh, and as I stepped into the political conversation, I wanted my contribution to be to step back, take a breath, build a more fundamental understanding of politics. Um, But I do think it's really important to talk about this for today's episode, because the last month's worth of political current events have been really difficult. Um, everything's really messy right now. Um, it's even, you know, been, I think taking an emotional toll on a lot of us. Um, and so I just wanted our listeners to kind of be comfortable that we're not just trying to ignore all that, that that's not happening because it is, we just kind of want to break things down and stay within the fundamentals. That being said, I do want to urge our listeners, as you are dealing with political current events, that you take care of yourself, that you have people you can talk to, that you have uh, safe spaces you can go if things are really difficult. You need to take good care of yourself when things are so emotionally difficult. Okay, that, you know, kind of serious piece of business is out of the way, and I hope that that's a good answer to why we are not talking about political current events on this podcast. Uh, And finally, last week we introduced our one ground rule for the podcast, which is no debating. We're not here to advocate for specific policies or even to say who or what is right and wrong. We just want a broad, objective understanding of the issues so that we're better prepared to form opinions and enter into those conversations in the real world. Okay, to sum up podcast business one, we're not a current events show and we don't debate but you should go engage with the political real world around you, making sure you're taking care of yourself in the process. Two, you can now follow the show on Twitter, at MJIsIgnorant, and you should use that account for comments and questions as well. Uh, I believe that is all of the business I had to attend to. Thank you for listening to me blab. And now we'll introduce today's guests and our topic for episode two. Uh, So it turns out, due to scheduling, that three of our guests were here last week. So I will go through them now. We have with me in the studio, Josh Breskowitz, my very good friend. Say hello, Josh. Hello. Uh, And as we discussed last week, Josh does not have education or a job in politics. He's just that friend who you can count on to interrupt your morning coffee, telling you about the latest drama between two senators you've never heard of. And we're glad to have him here for that. Joining us remotely again from Washington, D.C. is Steve Swedberg. Steve is a policy researcher from the American Institutes of Research, uh, and he also does some writing on his own at the blog libertarianjew.blogspot.com. Hello, Steve, and thank you for being back with us.
2: Oh. Hi, Matt. pleasure to be here.
0: And again, joining us from last month... I might have said last week at some point, uh, just so that everybody doesn't lose their minds and think it's a time warp. Last episode was a month ago, so if I misspoke, apologies. Again from last month is Jenna Johnson, a law student at Texas A&M and formerly a unit producer on Fox & Friends. Hi Jenna.
3: Hello guys, happy to be here.
0: All right. so it um, didn't start out my intention to have the same panel from last week, but Uh, Scheduling is just really difficult, and so I'm really happy to have those guests back with us. And then a new guest joining our panel today is my other good friend, Josh Miller. Hey, guys. Josh is currently, for about the next half a month, a Madison-based pastor and community organizer, uh, and he is about to move to Austin, where he will be an Austin-based pastor and community organizer uh, and Josh, is there somewhere that people should or can follow you on social media in regards to
1: that work? Absolutely. Uh, tales of a Scribe. So at Tales of a Scribe.
0: Perfect. Um, and I did forget to mention that my good friend Josh Breskowitz also writes on the Internet at a blog called joshbrez.com. Right. That's it. Yeah. Josh dot com. All right. That is our panel for today. And the question we are going to be answering is, parties, should we throw them or throw them out? Um, so, if originally, my guest list had included someone who ran for local office with the Democratic Party in Madison and also somebody who is really active with college Republicans at the UW, um, and the scheduling just didn't work out. Uh, so, I think what I'm going to do is have individual episodes, one about the current Democratic Party, and one about the current Republican Party because they really are uh, huge topics on their own, and I can get some guests who can really speak to those questions. Uh, So for today, we are just talking about parties in general. Um, And so, like we did last week, I'm gonna start with one question for the whole panel and just go person by person and have them answer. All right, so the first question I think should be easy, but you know, it's always a surprise. Describe the role of parties in American politics in your own words. We're going to go from left to right. So we're going to start with Mr. Josh Breskowitz.
4: The role of parties in American politics today. In your own words. In my own words. Um, what I would say as to what parties currently do, um, and and it partially answers for why they, they continuously exist as well, despite... They're not found in the con. The concept of a political party isn't found in the Constitution anywhere. But the the reason why they exist and what they do now is they kind of act to. They act to either magnify or diminish the the policy positions of a given politician. So, uh, take our representative Mark Pocan for example. Um, if he has a certain policy position, whatever it is, uh, the party of which he is a member um, will either uh, magnify that desire via agreement with him, and thus via votes towards that policy, or it will kind of diminish or restrict that policy uh, via the lack of votes or the, the lack of agreement uh, with him. So it they. Seems this seems amazing for me to be saying this, but in this way, they kind of act as like a moderating influence on uh, individual politicians, because there's no, the country can't be driven by one individual politician alone, and that that action seems to happen through the uh, the intermediary of political parties.
0: So the party weights positively or negatively the opinion or the vote of or maybe we could say the intended vote before the vote happens, of one politician. Right. So Mark Pocan might want to vote yes on Bill XYZ. The party's more general opinion is going to really have an influence on whether he should indeed vote yes or not.
4: Or whether he does or not, whether that vote translates into a policy becoming law. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see how this would this would make some sense for this to be the case because in a republic we're all represented by... Uh, representatives that we vote for who make the laws and if Mark Pocan votes or doesn't vote for one thing that ideally represents the opinion of his constituents uh, but it may not represent the opinion of every single person in the country uh, even those that are roughly aligned somewhat with Mark Pocan and thus the other people who live in Madison um, it's a, kind of a consensus build. The a political party acts as a consensus building uh, mechanism
0: Excellent. So I do have um, an an interesting question about your answer, but I don't want it to interrupt uh, the flow of everybody else answering. So remind me to come back to that. We will table that. Table it. Exactly. I think that's a politics word. Uh, It means we'll talk about it later. Do I have that right? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Great. All right. Josh Miller, uh, describe the role of parties in American politics in your own words.
1: Yeah, I think at their best, uh, the parties are a place for ideas to come together. So the idea of saying, do you believe in local government or national government? And which is going to have the better role? Uh, The idea of, you could talk about the role of education or the role of transit or the ideas behind uh, kind of larger movements. Um, At their worst, uh, they deal more on purely the issues. uh, And so it becomes this issue by issue issue this is affecting me and I want this to change. And then you get this kind of tribalism that happens. A really good example of that would be actually the Civil War, where slavery ended because an idea said, we don't believe people should be slaves, right? And so the North came to that conclusion about an idea, and then that led them to a very specific thing about an issue. The South were much less concerned with whether or not these people were people or not, and more the issue, this is our labor force, this is our economy, and I'm not at all arguing that slavery or the Civil War was about purely economic conditions, but they started from two different places. One started with the idea, no, humans shouldn't be treated like this. The other started from an issue that they cared about. One became a tribalistic, and then we went to war. Um, So I think at their best, parties really allow for a place where ideas can be shared and honed and then articulated. And at their worst, uh, we really get into this kind of tribalistic, uh, very small tent. You're either with us or against us.
0: So and I think a word that we use for what you're describing would be like a party platform where the whole party takes uh, an opinion on an issue. And that could work for good where it kind of broadens the influence of the idea, or it could work for bad, where because the party says it, we all have to say it, and it becomes now this monolithic. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. All right. Jenna Johnson, describe the role of parties in American politics in your own words.
3: Um... Let's see. I have to say these aren't my own words, but ain't no party like the grand old party. Huh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, uh, OK, that's well, working uh, out.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, as much yeah. as as much as uh, we're going to try to, you know, keep the veil of nonpartisanship. Um, Jenna knows that everybody sitting in my studio sits pretty squarely on the left. So she's just messing with us.
3: Exactly. It's all in good fun. Yes. Um Okay. Uh, there've already been some great answers, but I think, um, the role of parties today is kind of, um, I think it's actually shifting a little bit, uh, before, um, and generations past and now with millennials it's changing, but people were overwhelmingly, um, going to join the same political party as their parents did. Um, and I think that it's kind of cool now that, um, you know, people are thinking for themselves of on what platforms and issues they're identifying with and joining a political party based on that and not just, you know, passively being inherited by a political party. Um, another role of parties today is a, kind of an obvious one, but they're a necessary evil if you want to vote in a primary. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Good point. Would you... um? Would you say that in that previous regime where everybody's party affiliation came from their parents, do you think that was a time when the party's actual positions were more reflective of the issues that were important to a certain geography? So if we take something like West Virginia, the Republican Party might have been where everybody sat and they inherited that from their parents because the Republican Party was working in favor of issues that were important to West Virginia?
3: Oh, sure. I mean, I don't think, uh, you you know, if a whole state was uh, tending to vote, you know, Republican or Democrat, that 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 wouldn't factor into it, um, because those issues were ones that were important to them. Um, But I just think now, even in States that, you know, traditionally go one way or the other in an election, if you look at the younger generations, um, they tend to have, um, distinct, um, individual, uh, party preferences is different to that of their parents.
0: Gotcha. Excellent. and then steve swedberg described the role of parties in american politics in your own words
2: my is actually had to segue um, into the other question you want to ask um, how why do we get parties in the first place because uh, although the although the party system has evolved in this country some things really don't change at the end of the day um, in this case the question of why we even have parties in the first place. Uh, so kind of you wanted me to go over the history uh, of it and, and really how the founding fathers uh, dealt with this, kind of really uh, gets at uh, why in the world we even have parties in the first place. Um, you go to back to someone like Madison, James Madison of the Federalist Papers, who said that an addiction to a political party is less degenerate it's the last degradation of a free and moral agent so that's just one example of showing how the founding fathers were really against parties and having to do with the fact that they didn't want to have consolidated power like they had under uh, king george and why they fought uh fought against uh the british uh regime in the first place so going go back to why we have parties you say should we have them or should we throw them out i'm going to argue that you kind of need parties in the first place Because without parties you're not going to get anything done and our founding fathers found that out in the first congress back in hmm. 1790 they're trying to figure out things such as where do we have the capital because that has a lot of a uh, symbolic uh meaning in, in terms of uh of of politics so you also have this question of uh they had to figure out how to pay off state-level debt. They had to figure out how to pay, pay off national debt and uh, wartime debt. Um, they had all this debt, and they had to figure out these financial institutions. And Alexander Hamilton wanted wanted a wanted a national bank, and the anti-federalists didn't. So they 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 formed these parties in the first place because individuals by themselves, even if they have the power, they don't have enough clout especially in a representative republic, uh, to necessarily pass everything. And without political parties, the, the, major, the majoritarian views were – it was the holds and the coalitions they had were very tenuous since they were going more issue by issue. But with the creation of political parties, um, you, you take care of that issue and you're able to get behind um, uh, more of a – uh, we talk about platforms. Um, and being able to create uh, those platforms and plus you're dealing with the collection of action issues
0: your signal was going in and out a little bit um, so oh, okay, I want to Repeat your argument back to you um, and I think it's actually going to bring me back to sure. the question. I had tabled for Josh B um, so and uh, I'll tell you that um my current understanding of early political parties only comes from listening to the Hamilton musical a thousand times. Um, so, you know, I think I get it with the Southern blank blank Democrat Republican somethings that's a line from there, but I'm trying to keep the explicit tag off the podcast. So I'm going to not say the whole thing. Um, but so starting out, um, it sounds like the people in the continental Congress, uh, did not want to do parties because they felt that this group of people who had to have a monolithic opinion about something would threaten their individual ability to govern and to represent their own district. Is that, is that what you said? And that that was actually kind of my, my question for you is um, we get a lot of um, – Opinions from the right today, along the lines of "we don't want the federal government deciding something across the board for us," um, but then we also have very unified parties, and those ideas seem kind of in opposition.
4: Yeah i would I would say that yes. Yeah. Regardless of the party currently in power, it's the structure right. of our government that there is a federal government, and that implies that actually, there is being that the federal government is the high government in the highest government. In the United States, that does explicitly mean that choices are made on the part of all of the people of the country, regardless of some of their opinions. Um, that I mean, that's part of running a functioning state. Um, that that touches a little bit on what is politics that we talked about last time when we talked about the application of power and and all of those things. Um, it
0: yeah. It, so it's it is somewhat in opposition to this very statist idea of, it's just me as the representative and my constituency, um, and I'm going to decide what's right for them. I don't want this whole party trying to push me around. So that's like an original idea of it. But then, Steve, it sounds like you are saying, as they started trying to govern, that became rather impractical, and to spread resources, both physical resources, like you said, money, talking about the federal bank, Uh, and even natural resources, as well as political resources, as in political will to get things done, they found they really did have to band together in coalitions, which became parties, to accomplish that stuff. Do I have everything right so far? Yes, you do. Awesome. All right. Steve did a really good job of transitioning us from that initial question for everybody um, to my individual questions, uh, which was, um, I had wanted Steve to answer for us how parties started, and it sounds like we've we've kind of done a good job of covering that. Um, Steve, do you have anything else to comment on than the intervening period um, where we have the beginning of coalitions when the country is absolutely brand new, um, and then most of the 20th century we have two major parties who uh, – who get things done? Um, there were lots of other, you know, little groups in there. You know, we remember these words from history class, like the Whigs and the Know Nothings, and uh, anybody else remember some? Bull Moose, the Bull Moose Party, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so what has been the role of those kind of, you know, ad hoc parties that have cropped up in politics, but not really become influential long term?
2: Well, the Whigs, I I think, again, I'm not not a historian, but I I would say with my my political science background, the problem with the Whigs is, especially once you get to the 1850s, 1860s, where you get with the issue of slavery, uh, part of it is they weren't able to hold votes. Part of it was they couldn't distinguish themselves from the Democrats. And with the GOP coming in in the 1850s, they very much, uh, in terms of branding, part of, part, of, part of a political party is branding, which is, I mean, aside from the campaign funds and aside from the conventions and are, the already established uh, already established power, um, they, it's about branding, and, and this is one of those major things that the as as a flagging third party that the the Republicans did back in the 1850s was that they distinguished themselves in terms of being uh, anti-slavery, um, and that carried themselves in obviously into the 1860s where you had Abraham Lincoln and Andrew Johnson um, being Republican presidents. So, I mean, I mean, even even at the beginning, you had the Federalists versus the anti-Federalists. Um, generally speaking, it's all, it, it has been a two-party system. Uh, the the major exception is the GOP as a third party being on the major parties, and even in spite of something like the boldness party, um, they've been able to entrench themselves well enough into the political system and keep those connections and keep the coalition within these larger tents. I mean, even more modern times, you ha- I mean, the GOP had the, the big tent idea, and then also going back to the 1930s with FDR, uh, you had the New Deal coalition where you're able to bring disparate groups together and the Democrats were able to hold a Congress for uh, multiple decades as a result of that coalition building. So between that, between the Electoral College, which doesn't make it easy for third parties to get in, and then we can get into gerrymandering, all these things make make the uh, two-party system if we're talking strictly in American context and not going into multi-party in like Europe or Israel or, or even parts in East Asia, um, that, that, that's what helps to keep the, uh, the, uh, the two party system, uh, well, well intact and makes it very difficult for third parties to get the funding, to get, to get, to get the connections and all, all, all that coalition building and all the, and everything required in order to, in order to be able to build what they need in order to be a viable, uh, viable alternative within the political system.
0: Gotcha. So um, I think we can say as much as individual issues have threaded their way through different parties and that's changed over time, this trend or this thread of statism versus federalism has really been the driving ideological force between two parties in America pretty much through its entire life so far.
2: I'm well if we're going whether whether or not it I mean this I mean this goes back to my tenth amendments here. Um but I mean I would yeah, I mean if you look at the Civil War, I mean Again, the the South likes to think it's this abstract concept of states' rights, although rights have to be put into practice, the right to do what? In their case, own a person and use them for free labor. Um, But, yeah, I I, I would say I'm trying to think here. I mean, even through Barry Goldwater, I think you had this. Yeah, whether federal government or state government should do it Um, without getting too political here. I think the GOP more recent times likes to do that. Um, more more cherry picking as to whether they want the federal or state government uh, to do something, but for most of his, most of U.S. history, I would say uh, yes. There, there's definitely whether it should be at the state or federal level. That's definitely one of the major uh, themes running through, even in spite of party realignments you have over time. That's definitely a major major motif. All
0: right, and then um, I'm gonna I'm gonna change our order of things around a little bit because Steve, I know you are pressed for time, and I want to respect your time. Um, So the last um, thing that I wanted you individually to contribute um, is to talk about other systems in other countries that have multiple parties, more than two, and where things work a little differently. Because I know that you know a lot about that and also that you advocate for that (laughs) and would like to see something like that come into being in
2: the U.S. I I think you're giving me too much credit for um, having an understanding of it well listen i'm
0: uh, really system. ignorant about politics and so in i mean you all seem very smart <laughs> com- uh-huh. compared to me
2: well i i think in very broad terms your advantage of having a a multi-party system is that it better the the the, the parties better represent the people i mean you 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 find you find enough independence in, in this country and republican and democrat you can you can you got to get cynical and say there's really no difference between the two. You can say it's getting so polarized that one's going hard, one party's going hard right, the other party's going further and further to the left um, with as time passes. Um, but with the like, I mean, you go, you think like I think in places like Germany and France, you have like the far right nationalist party, you have a free market party, you have the socialist party, you have a green party, you have all these parties, and that, that's good for representing people. But the the issue um, with that is that uh, you also have to cater to the crazies, although you can argue, we already do that here in the United States. Um, <laughs> like Israel, a Israel Israel, Israel, good example, you, um, you, you have to cater to the Shas party, um, they're a far right religious party, um, and there's less, and because of that uh, catering, there's less of a uh, separation between church and state, or in this case, synagogue and state, um, like for such things like, uh, whether the i mean what days the government works on or or what government's open or or even probably more pertinently there's no such thing as civil marriage in israel because the rap the rabbinate um got a little too involved with that so um that that's i i think that's more pronounced in uh these parliament multi-party parliamentary uh type uh governments so i with that case you take the good or the bad but i i think I think it's more representative because when you look at a two-party system, you have you have such a broad co- you have too broad of a coalition, and you, you really kind of hit this um, issue with social I mean social choice and this idea of are you really representing can you really represent everybody if that tent is too big? So again you again take your good you're good with your bad, um, but I, I, I again for representing other people I personally prefer multi-party over a two-party system.
0: Awesome. And did you have a Yeah, I, I you think, go and then I'll go.
2: OK, I think it's a you know,
4: thinking about a about creating a system like that. You know, let's say that we wanted to um, bring about a system like that in the United States, because all of the arguments for having more than one political party, I mean, especially now, given current politics, given what many people seem to uh, often suggest out in everyday life, seem to support the idea of, oh, yeah, there should be we should have just more than two parties. Um, the, the thing that would be needed to actually create a system like that in the United States has not to do with us just deciding to have more than one party. It would require a change in how voting is conducted. Um, the reason why other parties are able to exist, um, at really at all in all of these other places around the world is the way that voting is done and the way that Um, voter preferences are taken into account. In the United States we use a voting system called first-past-the-post where effectively as soon as you get 51% of the vote that person is the winner and they then represent everybody in the constituency even the you know 49% of the people who didn't vote for them. Um, In other voting systems you can for example rank according to preference who would you prefer as your first choice, your second choice, your third choice. And effectively, an instant runoff is created, and uh, there's a whole bunch of different systems for I'm doing this. I'm going to step
0: in here because I think that we have hit some jargon yeah. that our listener from last month might complain about. Yeah, what's it's... a runoff election?
4: Well, like in 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 a case like this, what uh, I mean, what a runoff election is, um, like in the context of the United States, is uh, there's a first round of voting. Uh, and that decides one preference and then a second round of voting that decides another preference. So, for example, down in Georgia a few months ago, um, there was a um, an election effectively for um, which member of this. Well, actually, you know what, let's take an even easier example. Let's think about, um, let, let's give primaries as an example because we have those and we, we hear that word a lot. So primaries are the means by which a party will choose its candidate. In the United States uh, so there is an election among the people of that party over who their preferred candidate is and the way we conduct that election even if there's 12 different people running whoever gets the majority of the votes wins now that person doesn't then hold the office they win that election but then there is another election between that person and another person uh, in this case, from the other party, to decide who the actual office holder is. That's a bit of a way of explaining what a runoff election is. That's not how we would term it okay. in the United States, but it's an election that decides the outcome after a preceding election. It's its a way of narrowing down uh, election results.
0: And w- what other way might you do it once you came to the, the final vote for the seat or the office or whatever it is, um, other than first past the post so everybody casts their votes and you have certain percentages for however many candidates were you know in the running so right. then what would you do other than first past the post
4: right so now i've got to like stretch stretch my mind like on the fly into like yeah. my and knowledge if, of if other you voting want systems.
0: we can do an episode on voting and we can table yeah that oh, for them
4: yeah, because we we could have like long explainers on other systems of voting, but um, so take um, so take the election of nineteen ninety two as an example. Let's use a historical example in the United States because this would um, this would this would maybe get at. Get at some of the spirit of this at the very least, if not the mechanics. Um, so in the election of nineteen ninety two, Bill Clinton becomes the president of the United States. Um, he does so, however, not with a majority of the vote, but with just simply a plurality. What that means is not a majority is in over 50%, but there were three folks who um, were on the ballot, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, and Ross Perot. Bill Clinton got the highest percentage of those. He didn't get above right. 50, but he got the highest percentage. Um What that theoretically means is that actually the majority of people in the United States did not want Bill Clinton to be the president, but he became the president anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with first past the post voting is that it creates a system whereby this is the case. Yeah. Um, A different system of voting would look at that outcome and uh, create, say, a runoff system. So, So for example, so
0: would that then knock? Bill Clinton out, and then the competition would be between Perot and Bush?
4: Well, it wouldn't necessarily like knock Bill Clinton out, but in this case, if you wanted to have a simple runoff on that, it would be like, okay, um, who's your first choice? Many people would say Ross Perot is my first choice. Um, in this case, Ross Perot got the smallest number of votes. Those votes are effectively wasted under our current system. This is why it's a waste of your vote in a mathematical right. sense to vote for a third party.
0: And you also get these... In my opinion, very unhelpful conversations about you, person who voted for a third party, should or shouldn't have done that, and people people really get at each other about it, and right. it seems to be very unhelpful. Right,
4: and editorializing, you shouldn't do that in the American system of voting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, but yes, um, I mean there there are I understand moral moral arguments for doing it and really stating your position and so forth, but from a mathematical sense, um, what a a a different system of voting would create is say, you can feel free to vote for Ross Perot, but you would also indicate a second preference. So for example, many of those voters would indicate my second preference is George H.W. Bush. When Ross Perot comes in third place, all of those votes transfer to George H.W. Bush. He maybe then gets the majority and then becomes the president, reflecting more accurately the wishes of more of the voters. That may have actually happened and it may not have happened, Mm -hmm. Um, could have just as easily under that system gone to Bill Clinton. I'm not sure. Uh, Probably not because Ross Perot was a pretty conservative guy. But you see kind of how that could have a different system of voting, of tallying the votes could have led to a different outcome. Sorry for the long tangent.
0: That's okay. You know, if we, you know, get sucked into the weeds, that's fine. Because knowledge is power, as I learned as a child watching PBS. All right. Um, So then the last piece of this, Steve, I think out of the the various opinions on politics that you kind of listed, one of them was, well, the parties are moving farther and farther apart. The Republican Party is becoming super far right. The Democratic Party is becoming super far left. Um, And we can talk about that specific piece. But let's say that's the case. um, And a centrist party rose between them to become a third party what would the platform of a centrist party look like if indeed the two parties we have are just moving to their own extremes? Mark Zuckerberg for president, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: almost, that's a, that's unfair. I mean, it almost seems like a loaded question there. Uh, well, it's it's
0: of... really not. It's, a, it, it's a, a very genuine, like, what does a true centrist set of issues look like
1: in America?
2: I... I... That's okay, tough. here's
1: my thing though. Is it that issues is yeah. or is it ideas? Because those are two separate things. Right now we're driven by issues, but we're not actually getting at like why we're doing them.
0: Okay, so, th- alright, let me rephrase. Um, thank you. What policy ideas would be had by a centrist party that rose because the two parties we have have gone too far to the extremes?
2: my
4: you you're <laughs> asking t- me t- you're t- asking t- us to invent a political party out of whole <laughs> plot
3: <laughs> now, yeah, now, first, really
4: this, right? this this you're makes
3: asking.
4: me you're like asking. the partisan knives might start you're to come out a little bit because like or, like well a, a centrist yeah, you're, yeah, like a centrist healthcare policy would be something that leaves the free market in place and delivers them more customers with government subsidies. But that's Obamacare, and there we are. <laughs> all
0: right. So, right. Yeah. So what, you, so, what you're saying is that I've unintentionally like set up a debate, um, which is not my intention. Um,
3: Violating your own rules. Here. I know,
0: guys. I'm really sorry. Um, all right. Well, maybe we're going to have to put a pin in that. Um, Maybe that question isn't easily answerable for reasons I don't yet understand. Uh, so I'll let myself become a little less ignorant before trying to ask that question again. I think that between Josh and Steve, we've we've really covered the s- questions that I had for the individual between you. So Jenna's up next, and my questions for Jenna were, uh, how do party politics influence the individual voter, um, and, how do they influence political reporting and media? So we'll we'll do the first of those first, which is a very good way to start. Apropos. As Julie Andrews told me. Um Yeah. I'm gonna start over I love that. Uh, oh you love it. Okay, I'm gonna keep it.
3: <laughs> I do, Julie Andrews, <laughs> wise words. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, thanks, Julie. Um so yeah, how do party politics influence the individual voter sitting at home and deciding who to vote for or how to form opinions about politics?
3: Well, I think it really depends on your attitude towards parties um, to begin with. Um, On the one hand, you know, if you're very cynical about them, it could, you know, drive you away from any sort of party. But on the other hand, if, you know, you think that they're generally pretty useful, um, it's almost a way that you can sort of make a shortcut. Um, And I I don't mean that in, in a bad way um for making some political decisions. Um, as Steve mentioned earlier, um, there is something to be said for um joining a political party in order to feel that your voice is heard because they definitely have more clout um than an individual. Um, but then on the other hand there is, you know, the element of groupthink And you join a party and then you identify with it just because and you have sort of an adversarial relationship with the other party, even though maybe you don't know why. Um, So I think that's kind of the role it has with individuals. But in the media, and this is what I love to talk about, um, the media loves parties. Before um, we
0: before we get to the media, oh, it, sure. it seems like Josh M has some I have thoughts a question, on your first answer. And not
1: even thoughts, question for you, just because you're entrenched a little bit deeper into the political system uh, than I am, at least. Do you see uh, the influence uh, being stronger on a local level and the higher up you go, the more diluted the voice gets? Because um, I'm thinking of like even just Republicans right now, like the Albuquerque mayor um, is a Republican, but he's done some really uh, atypical things uh, based off ideas, not issues uh, in Albuquerque, Mm -hmm. working with the homeless, working with jobs, Uh, has really kind of built a coalition. Uh, And then you see that sometimes happen in governors, but then as you move up to the, you know, more the the house national or senate, or certainly the the president, that changes a little bit. Do do you see more voice on the local level and it dilutes as it goes up, or do you think it actually stays pretty consistent? Uh,
3: I I think I would probably be inclined to agree with you as having more voice on a local level, um, because the, the higher up you get, obviously, the more people are in the party and it gets diluted and then you're just at kind of the the will of your one representative who's supposed to be representing you. So hopefully they do. Um, but it's a lot easier at a local level to make sure that they are. So if that makes
0: that one that a little over my head. Um, so are you saying that when you are voting for a local office, Party matters more or less.
1: I was asking that question, actually. Uh, okay,
0: what was the answer? I missed it.
1: <laughs> well, I guess, I guess that would that would be the question uh, to you, Jenna. W- sure.
3: Does it does matter, it matter, more, matter or more or less
1: local as it goes to national?
3: I right, know. I'm thinking like less than greater than signs. It's getting into the math here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, well, see, I think individuals have more influence at a local level, so. And I just mean by themselves. So I would say that parties would matter less.
0: At the local level. So if I'm at
3: the local level if because I'm voting the for, matters yeah, more.
0: If I'm voting for school board and I'm voting for city council and stuff like that, I should go, you know, understand the issues and the like really detailed positions that individual nominees have spoken about and vote according to that. If I'm voting for my person in the uh, U.S. Senate or the U.S. House of Representatives, I should say. Well, you know, the Democratic Party has a lot of clout for these issues. I mostly agree with. I'm going to vote Democrat. Do I have that right?
4: I think you've got it essentially right, and I, I agree with with Jenna too about all the points that she made. Kind of uh, explaining it in detail, like that. Uh, like I think of like a single issue that like proves the point that. Party matters probably maximally at the highest office that you can think of. Okay. Um, Give uh, give you the example, just a single issue, the issue of abortion as an example. Um, Whatever one's position is on that, when the presidential election comes around, there are some voters for whom that is the issue that they think primarily about, uh, regardless of the other uh, policy positions or personal characteristics or what have you, I'll leave it at that, to the politician that they're going to vote for, the party's platform. Yeah, so you says, can get a situation
0: where, where whatever is going to happen with actual policies... Yeah. The, you can the, have a
4: single-issue voter. The,
0: the voice of yeah. the party on this issue will decide the vote. Right, um,
4: Whatever's what, whether that will actually happen or not in policy or whatever the views right. of that individual politician is or...
0: And that you know, sort of thing like isn't likely to happen with school board and city council. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. And then uh, how, how does reporting on politics and how does the media get involved in or how, how are they influenced by the existence of our party system?
3: Right. Well, the media loves parties. Um, part of that is because in terms of news values, things that media organizations really look to um, as far as like driving ratings and engaging audience members as conflict, currency, and impact. And uh, political parties tend to hit on all of those. Normally they have some sort of element of currentness, some issue they're debating or stance on something. Um, Impact is pretty much that, so impact either to their health, to their money. Uh, to their family depending on the outcome of that and then of course conflict um, since we are a two-party system uh, they're most of the time in conflict and it's so much so that it's almost a story in itself when they're not um, which is um, great for media because it always gives them something to kind of you know pit one against the other um, in news especially it's it's all about making things sort of boiled down to their simplest points, and so the existence of political parties makes it easy to globalize and generalize. Which I'm not saying that's a good thing, um, and right. at times so, you know, it is definitely not. Basic <laughs>
0: basic mass communications that makes it much easier, I would say, for the media to to just talk about things Absolutely. and not really be nuanced. They at can all. say
3: Democrats this, Republicans this, even though that may not be the case at all. I mean, but he, they can say that <laughs>
4: I mean even heck we're we're in a presidential election year he said this about her she said this about him but like what are the policy positions on issue xyz of these two campaigns? who right. the hell cares she said this <laughs> and he said this about
0: her and i think it's probably fair there to say that in this of drama. <laughs> yeah in this last election um maybe we didn't even know what specific policies were even involved because the entire conversation got co-opted by that kind of stuff. Right. Right.
3: But I think something interesting that also happened this election was, I think it was actually less about parties. You didn't hear as much like, oh, Republicans, Democrats, it was more Trump supporters, Hillary supporters. So, and there was a lot of that because a lot of Republicans didn't support Trump um, Mm -hmm. or a lot of Democrats, you know, didn't like Hillary, although, I'm going to just stop there.
0: <laughs> <But> <laughs> <laughs> yes.
3: It was still the polarized drama that you expect from parties, but even more personalized because it was the people.
0: Um, tell me if this is or is not an accurate summing up of your answer. Um, the, par- the existence of parties makes it harder or makes the media do a worse job of telling the public what's going on in politics because it gives them a way to easily talk about really flashy stuff and all of the nuance and all of the details get lost. So the fact that we have parties makes the media's job harder or worse.
3: I would say that is true. Um, for some uh, media more than others, so mm-hmm. by that I mean like television news yeah yeah um, whereas if you read you know a whole long New York Times article, you'll see more of the nuance there
4: yeah like I don't I don't think it's fair to give the media a pass because <laughs> we have a two- party system. I would actually say no the the media has the problem, not the two party yeah. system in many of those cases.
0: yes, it's a uh, okay, fair enough. Um all right. And it's then not the
3: party's fault they exist. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. And then for Josh Miller, uh questions how do party politics influence the public at large and how do party politics influence the community? And I know the community is really where you work, so I'm sure that you have a, a good sense for how politics get in and help or hurt things.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think that the, the community aspect is probably where I would be most apt to speak on just because that's where most of my experience is. So I work in a really urban uh, area in South Central Madison, kind of one of the more at-risk neighborhoods, certainly in the city. Uh, And I mean, if you look at, especially for African-Americans for the United States, uh, 53713 is just in the heart of some really deep challenges and longstanding issues. Uh, And uh, how politics has affected things where Madison is very liberal um, and Wisconsin has had a Republican, uh, very red state government, and how those two have interacted specifically around the school that I do most of my work at. I've actually seen both parties and both parts hurt the students that they're trying to say they care about. So there was a uh, teacher at one point about three or four years ago and I was in the library listening to this teacher speak to a kindergartner and the kindergartner started snickering and this teacher went off on how this uh, kindergartner is gonna be in front of a judge and this judge is gonna throw them in jail and I'm watching this go down and I'm just flabbergasted that anyone would speak to a kindergartner this way about snickering and another teacher looks at me and goes, well, we couldn't fire her anyway. Right. There's no way with the union. She's only going to be here for another two years, and then she's gone. Right? That is an issue above an idea. Right? And that shouldn't have happened. That teacher should not have been there. That should have. I mean, if this was a known. Like this wasn't like this random thing. So, and so, what you're saying there
0: is the. The, the, the existence of the union and the kind of political
1: leanings that
0: exactly to allowed that to happen
1: right Now flip that side came above
0: that. deciding really on how well does this person do their job. Exactly
1: and how are they helping students Flip side, one year later, state budget gets absolutely gutted for the school um in this very you know well funding's just gonna drop this much end of story and i'm watching students just hemorrhage because of it and teachers not getting the resources that they need and that was a very conservative decision that was made both of which were arguing we're trying to help the student right and both of which on the ground were making the students bleed um because they decided it was going to be an issue we are going to reduce school funding because you know budgets are bloated that's an issue it's not an idea we're going to you know we're going to allow teachers to have this level of protection right there's an idea behind that that's good but at one point it's you're here for the students full stop that's 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 why you're here now we want to protect you we want to give you benefits we want to make sure that you are not wrongfully treated but at both points the student wasn't coming first politics are coming first and that to me and, I think um, is the frustration
0: and were those Either in the in the budget case those decisions, or in the the case of union affiliation, just kind of those ideologies, uh, were those coming from Madison's city council, or were those decisions being made uh, by the the U.S. representatives for um, our
1: state? Well, I mean, the budget was through the state budget, um, and that, okay. again, that was a Republican Congress and uh, so that's the uh, state senator, the state. Exactly, and the governor. Yeah, the state um, legislature. Legislature. The that's legislature. the word I'm looking for. Okay. Um but the, the, the teacher was not a state yes. issue. It was very much a local we you know, we protect our teachers. Um and so there was no way like they they would be able to remove her mm-hmm. when she clearly did had no place in a classroom.
0: So, um back to where we were talking about with parties diluting as you go up or down or however you put it, where we were talking about um how the voter decides on things for local issues. Um, it sounds like the damages that a party can have can be much more ferocious at the local level.
1: Um, yes, especially when you're tying it into you have to vote this way or that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you either have to be pro-teachers or against teachers. That's a stupid question. That's a stupid dichotomy. Like, mm-hmm. um, And yet that's how we framed it in society where I think teachers should get paid more. I think they should get more time off. They spend eight hours a day with 30 kids. Just think about that. That's my definition of hell. Um, Like, they they (laughs) need to be loved on and supported and cared for and given all the tools. And I don't think it's a one-strike-and-you're-out policy. Um, But we're not having that conversation. We're having a very different conversation of, you know, are you... We're
0: not making ideas. No. We are... Nobody's putting forward ideas because the ideas are set by the party and the ideas are wrong, but and the, I, but you can't say that because then you're talking against whatever party. Well, and they're not even arguing ideas. Yeah, they're
4: arguing yeah. issues. Yeah, it gets they're... boiled down into like classical, like party position things. Like the mm-hmm. the question of protecting the teacher and giving them the support that they need, all that gets boiled down in in the political arena to well, we want to support teachers' unions and unionization is the the issue that that is, and we vote or don't vote based on that issue, and it's all about the union. It's not in this case that's that's separated out from the issue of actually supporting like the teacher making sure they're getting what they need and all that it's not like the the actual issue of supporting a teacher is divorced from the concept
1: of the idea we need to of protect how unions. do we how do we make the best teachers is right. different than the issue of unions uh, i'm not even against unions it's mm-hmm. just that but that's how we've boiled it down and that's counterproductive i think to yeah. moving the ball forward
0: yeah and so from your from your real-world experiences because you are there with the people, it sounds like parties can really hurt the community. Absolutely. All right. Well, those were all um, the individual questions for people. So we're back to the whole group. Um, So I want to then go down the line again like we did at the top of the episode. Uh, first question, how effective is this system? So for whatever we say its purpose is, um, you know, if that's to to provide more support to get things done, like how well is it doing that? So for, for whatever reason we might have a party, is it working for what we say that it should be working for? We will go in reverse order, starting with Jenna.
3: Oh, great. Less time to formulate a response. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to say because the thing with parties is when they work for a certain group or a certain people, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, they work. And then when they don't work for you, it's no, they don't work. It's broken. Let's fix it. So <laughs> it's tough. I don't know if there's a straight answer to that.
1: What well, is it? Do they work for you or is your party in power? Cause I think those are two separate right. questions. Does that make sense? So if so if
0: the job of parties is to Mm -hmm. to get more people together on something, let's, you know, be generous and say it's an idea, not an issue. So Mm -hmm. if, if if the role of the party is to get everybody together to get this idea accomplished, like, does it do that? Or does the politics like we talked about from last episode, does the politics get in the way anyway and just make a mess of things? Are parties getting things done?
3: Again, I'd have to qualify it. I mean, I think there are some really great ideas that have gotten through because of parties. I mean, we talked about earlier in this episode, like civil rights. That was a great progressive time in America where a very important idea got pushed through. Um, But then in other times, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows or it becomes more issue driven. So,
2: Steve? Yeah, it feels like a very open-ended, almost loaded question. I mean, it depends on who you are, um, which party do you like, or if you like either party. It depends on if you have standing. Um, it depends on what issues you care about. I mean, there, there's so much that goes into it. My thing is usually, probably on a more cynical end of, usually good politics makes for bad public policy and vice versa. So... Well, then let's, um, uh,
0: let's modify the wording of the question then. Um, <laughs> what what do parties do that makes it work well or like what does what does it look like for the parties to be doing a good job of using parties effectively
3: compromising
2: well our system yeah no definitely in in a two-party system where you may or may not you may have a small majority you already have it now or even back in the 2000s with the GOP you have a you have a majority, but you really can't uh, get anything done. So majority doesn't even mean uh, effective. And I, I think, see, I, I think going back to your original question, uh, as we go back to even the 1790s, uh, parties are, are relevant. They are, they, are, they are a group of people, coalition of people that can uh, have enough scale, have enough power and networking to get things done, which is why you see in all democratic or republic uh, republics uh, Democracy the republics you see you see political parties forming because you you need that you need that kind of uh, you need that kind of power and coalition and concentration of uh, all your resources. Um, you're, you're you're now you're asking whether it's ineffective. I would say right now certainly on the federal level not as much if you have a majority both um, in Congress and then you have a you have a president and you can pass a, a health care bill regardless of the policy of the health care bill just just the sheer effectiveness. So I, I think there's definitely a distinctive, uh, making that distinction between whether it's an effective and whether it's irrelevant. Again, parties are, I think parties are relative, but, um, effectiveness as Jenna puts ebbs and flows given on the issue and, uh, and how you're, me- you're measuring it with your metrics and everything,
1: Josh Miller, I think we have a currently very limited effectiveness of what we're able to get accomplished. Um, the. The few things that we are able to like pass are so like the bar has been set so low recently. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with we just stop talking to one another um, and we've, we've become such distinct tribes that refuse to even listen to or acknowledge value in the other side. Uh, Even if you don't agree with that, to at least understand, you know what, the idea of having a national government that's going to take care of its people, there's something good there. Or conversely, you know, the idea of, no, local government really is more boots on the ground. They should be making that there's something good there. we've we've lost that uh Mm -hmm. and you know when the election happened here in madison it was just unthink i didn't know any trump voters i was like he's gonna just it's gonna be a landslide it's gonna be a thing and out in the country they were probably realizing oh no we got this in the bag right Mm because we're not talking to one another and if you don't talk to one another why would you work together um and so until we can figure out a way I think as a country, to have a different kind of conversation to not demonize. Um, and that actually is a place where I do think the media could have a much healthier aspect. And I understand Jenna's, you know, conflict is really where uh, the ad dollars go. Um, and yet, uh, that is a very short term, uh, limited scope. Because mm-hmm. um, if we end up nuking ourselves, uh, there's no more ad dollars. Uh, so.
0: All right put Josh Miller on the board of all of the media companies <laughs> Josh B.
4: Um, do I do I think the current system is effective this it I mean I'll tell you what right now what's happening is you know I, I think a combination of uh, polarization different parts of the company country not talking to each other the media and the desire for ratings the impact of impact and influence of money, Um, all of those things have have led to in one way or another kind of an an isolation of all of us from each other but also too of a lot of the politicians especially at the national level from their people so this is a particular example right now of things not working totally effectively just because right now there are a lot of democrats finding that oh wait there are a lot more people who actually want a single-payer health care system than we knew and there are plenty of other democrats who are or like, oh, wait, like they don't actually want that. They don't want anybody to take their money. They just want to allow gay people to get married. Uh, and then there are a lot of Republican politicians finding out that actually no one cares about giving tax cuts to the rich and the corporations. They actually think that they should be increased if we pull the voters. So there's like a there's a, a real kind of divorce on the part of both parties from a lot of the the actual opinions of the voters right now. Uh, so right now, it's at the national level, at least, it's not being particularly effective. At, at the local level, maybe a bit more so. Um, at the same time, when you look at over the the nation's history, the, the the fact of the matter is that a lot of the things that you think of as as landmark moments in American history, like Jenna mentioned, the civil rights act, um, you know, you can think about the New Deal and Medicare and Medicaid. And I realize those are more progressive things than not. But I mean, as you know, take the GOP exam. The GOP's foundational example is the, the 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 elimination of slavery and and gearing the nation around that. In the end, um, and there are other examples throughout history too. Those things happen and and end up being enshrined in law because of political parties, because of the the bundling together of all of the the resources, as as Steve put it. Um, so, on the one hand, things might not be working very well now at the national level, and there are certainly reasons to consider other systems of voting. Although, if you were going to actually make any of those changes, you would have to work those changes through the existing political parties now, hence the difficulty. The fact of the matter is, the republics also stood for 241 years, which is the longest kind of continuous stretch that uh, a constitution like ours has managed to stay in effect. So there's certainly an argument to be made that it is, uh, working to a certain degree as well. Even if right now at certain levels, things are kind of weird. And the president's a weird guy.
0: Yeah. Um, we don't talk about the president on this podcast because it would, uh, devolve very quickly. Um, actually we had some fairly well,
4: agreement. To add in the outtakes of the last. Yeah, one. no. I actually, um,
0: <laughs> I had this idea: if I ever end up using Patreon, that the um, the Patreon uh, contributors get to listen to what we talk about after we stop recording. Right. Um, so
3: you know. That's the fun stuff. L- right, the fun <laughs> stuff. Look
0: forward to that. If you give us money in the future, okay, that's weird. Um, uh, money. Please. Jenna, last question for you before you have to head off. Uh, on the whole, are parties helping or hurting governance? Are they, you know, the the government exists to make it possible for all of the citizens to have the best life. Um, Yeah. Having the Democrat and Republican, Democratic and Republican parties running things, is that helping or hurting?
3: So without bringing Republicans and Democrats into it, um, with the forethought that maybe one day there will be a multi-party system or something, maybe, I say parties, yes, stay. throw
0: them okay throw them throw them jenna says throw parties uh steve is it helping or is it hurting us
2: i actually having parties uh yeah it's a i mean i I mean we could call it necessary But in either case you need them they they have relevance to be able to do everything you want to get done at the end of the day whether you have a multi-party or two-party system whether you have a republicans democrats or a third party somehow manages to sneak its way in there or whether you have an electoral college or not you need you need the parties i mean it, you can't get you can't get anything done in a representative republic without them so yeah so uh,
0: regardless of their their abstract ideological opposition to them the framers discovery that they did have to use parties to govern was right and is still right today.
2: Yeah, it goes back to theory versus practice. I, I would, they would rather not have the parties, but they they realized uh, when putting it into practice uh, within the first uh, two to three Congresses that they actually needed it in order to get stuff done.
0: Excellent. Josh Miller, um, helping or hurting? And I know you talked at, at great length about the, the community aspect and that was really helpful to have that local um, perspective. Um, But on the whole, across the whole spectrum of local to national.
1: I think it's probably asking the wrong, it's starting at the wrong spot. Uh, The parties aren't our problem and they're not our solution. Um, The human condition is our problem and figuring out how we're gonna manage that is the solution and how we're gonna actually work around that. Uh, and figuring out how we're going to get beyond tribalism, um, and yeah. parties can be a part of that; they can't be. Well, um, on the uh,
0: on the effectiveness question from last round, it sounded like um, the the real crux of your answer was when they build coalitions, they work really well. When they're tribes, they work really poorly.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Josh B, helping or hurting?
4: Um, I mean, like Steve said, it like they they are a thing that happens when people represent themselves because we have way too many people for everyone to not only way too many people for everyone to have an individual vote for every single law or piece of policy but even if that were workable that wouldn't result in any manageable policy at all so parties naturally form so they have to be there Uh, they can be made more effective with certain changes the likelihood of those is some can be questionable some can be doable but Overall, you need them. They're roughly effective at what they do in the long stretch of history. Throw them.
0: Throw them. All right. So we are not throwing out parties. We're going to continue throwing them. Um, last piece. Um, each guest, give me one thing you would change and how we do it. Josh Miller.
1: I would force them to eat lunch together. Both sides. Daily? Uh, Yeah. Every day, you gotta sit down with a, like a different representative. A lot of them There's do a, that. Yeah.
4: Actually, they just don't do it on camera. Yeah, <laughs> hence bringing the media back into it.
0: All right, so um, get them get them more in the same room more of the time. Steve, one change and how to do it.
2: Gosh, I would, I would probably just because we're so entrenched in the two party system. I mean, again, this goes back to implementation, but I would say get those third party candidates actually on the debate stage so you can actually have other ideas And by having that exchange of ideas you can actually uh, steer the conversation in a different place and have it be hopefully I mean the idea is that it's more fresh of an intellectual marketplace
0: all right Steve would give the third parties more of a voice and it sounds like that's really just uh, the impetus there is on the media to to follow through with that I really like that one um, and, Josh, B, what would you change and how do we do it? Um, State-level laws that mandate changes
4: to how votes are counted. And okay. And no more first-past-the-post.
0: All right. So, and I, I know that there's an argument about term limits, and that's something we could discuss on another episode, but you would gear, gear it more toward just how the voting operates? Yes. Okay. Um, and that... Um, the how piece that requires uh, representatives to take up that idea and start writing bills. Yes,
4: and it is way more likely to start happening at the local level because you can't petition Congress to vote their own parties out. Like, you can't ask members of Congress to vote to dilute their own party's power because that wouldn't make any sense to them to do and they wouldn't do it, no matter whether they agree with you on everything else under the sun or not.
0: Great. Okay, well... Um, Jenna did have to run off early, um, but we were so thankful to have her with us. Um, And then thank you to Steve Swedberg for ringing in from Washington, D.C. He's a policy researcher, but he also writes his own blog. You can find him at libertarianjew.blogspot.com you in the studio. Thank you so much to Josh Miller. Um, he's community organizing here in Madison just for another couple weeks, and then he's on his way to Austin to do the same work. You can follow him on Twitter at Tales of a And then Josh B., thank you so much for joining. Um, I love that our long-standing political conversations are now happening in front of a microphone. i happy to have you here with us. You can read Josh's blog, uh, joshbrez.com, B-R-E-Z. Uh, Thank you so much. I am just a little bit less ignorant and uh, I just hope that continues going because I'm having a great time.